joining me on this episode of the honest conversation um, i appreciate you making time during the christmas week to speak to me either i must be a very good friend or you must be that bored of family that you were dying to get away from <laughs> from naming all to speak to me yeah happy, happy to be here man good good so, um, look, for those that don't, you know, for those listeners, I say that as if there are loads of listeners, um, for those that aren't perhaps familiar with yourself, um, could you give us maybe an elevated picture of who you are, your background and, and what you're doing? Yeah, sure. Um, been in the analytics space for about two decades, um, have done every role in software sales from BDR upwards to SGP of global sales, which is where I'm at now. Um, have done have done anything there in between. Um, married twenty years, um, you know, uh, three kids. Uh, reside in Cincinnati, Ohio, here in the states, but you know, travel extensively uh, across U.S. Uh, as well as Europe. Um, born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, and then moved to Cincinnati years ago. We were going to spend two years here, and it's been about sixteen. So. Something must be working um, here in Cincinnati, um, even though we have about a foot of snow on the ground right now. Um, even with that, yeah, we, still, we uh, still enjoy everything here. Um, but no, so far, um, that's kind of a highlight of me, I think. So, so, yeah, of course, a couple of things there. I know there's a massive snowstorm, or there was a massive snowstorm. You Americans, you always get the white Christmases. Or the ice Christmases, depending on 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 where you are. <laughs> yeah, true, very true. Um, well, I don't know what the UK would do with a, a foot of snow. I think we'd the, 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 they'd all just sit at home and do nothing. It would be like lockdown yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for that introduction. I, I appreciate that. Obviously, we you know we have we do know each other um, somehow. We've worked together for for a little while now. Um, don't ask me how that started. That seems almost like ten years ago, but it's actually only been. What was I think I can't remember. It was about being about fourteen months now. So look at that, yeah. budding friendship. All right. So, um, just do a few minutes about you. Got some questions that we ask all of our guests. Um, nothing too heavy, I promise. Um, you mentioned that you've been in software sales, particularly the analytics space, for the last what, tw- twenty years. Twenty, yeah, nearly come up to twenty years now. So I'm sure when you were a kid, you didn't think, do you know what? I want to be analytics space and doing software sales at, when you were 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. No, what was the dream for Brian? You know, um, I hate to say it, but I'll tell you what my dream was. As a very young kid, my dream was to be uh, a trash truck driver. Um, as, as a kid, uh, I don't know. I just I, I loved watching the people, uh, you know, jump off the back of the truck throughout the the garbage, the trash, the roughage, whatever, and then hop back on the truck and, you know, you know, carry on. Uh, for me, that's what I wanted to do. My dad, uh, for years, made fun of me for it, you know, um, because, you know, definitely a far, a far thing from that right now, that's for sure. Um, but that was <laughs> very, very early young age. That was my dream, um, you know, that evolved into a sports player. And, you know, we all have our dreams, right? Um, but yeah. that's what 
that's really what it was. Um, I hate to say it, but that was the case. Um, so that's insane. And I, 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 I mean, I've heard everything. Astronaut. I've heard someone wanted to be an accountant before. Don't ask me about that one. But a, a truck driver. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's definitely taken me by surprise. I won't lie. Yeah. I can see it though. Yeah. No. It's yeah. That's interesting. Um. What would you say? Um. What was the job that led to you going into software sales? What did you do before before you, your first job in information builders? Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I worked for Anheuser-Busch, actually, in, uh, in university, in college. And uh, I worked um, various roles at Anheuser-Busch for about three or four years. Um, some okay. of the role towards the end there for me was, was sales as well there. Um, but for me, I um, also then graduated with a degree in computer science and I, I did that role for a little bit at Anheuser-Busch and quickly realized I, I could not be behind a desk doing the same thing from a coding perspective all day, every day. Um, so I liked the sales part and I liked the tech part. And I recognized that there was an industry out there that could combine those two things into tech sales. And um, through, you know, various efforts, um, you know, found my way into a BDR role uh, and then, you know, began to kind of, you know, kind of hone my craft and then begin to kind of move up there um, in the, in the tech sales space. So. Good. Okay. Uh, and if you had a, a favorite quote or a life, a life motto, what would you say that is if you have one to uh you know there's several of those i think i think oh, great one for each day of the week yeah no i don't know, there's, <laughs> I don't know if, there's, if there's that many you know i i just think what we were just talking about kind of being in tech sales for 20 years and moving through various companies moving through various roles i think there's mistakes made by some individuals and in going to that next role and one of my things that i try to live by is that the next role, you should really only know how to do 50% of that role. The other 50% should be something that you're willing to learn and become the best at the other 50 in the first six months of that of that new role, right? So okay. that's something that I always kind of think about, uh, you know, as stretching yourself a little bit. And if you don't stretch yourself like that, it's just not going to work. That's interesting. Oh, I remember that when uh, you rejected a candidate of mine. That, that doesn't. <laughs> he's, he's willing to. No, I ain't joking. I ain't joking. <laughs> These podcasts are brilliant when it comes to going giving you guys feedback. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm watching every word right now. Look at what I said. <laughs> no, but on, I think that's a, a, a really fair point. Yeah, I think that was a, a quote it went around a few years ago on LinkedIn about. And particularly talking about understanding, you know, if you don't know the job and someone offers it, take it and learn on the job. You know, you have to start somewhere at the end of the day. Um, if you know 50% of it, I think at the end of the day, you know, pe people don't move for, or they don't move upwards with, with that, all that knowledge, you know, and, and for someone that's had a career like yourself, you know, I'm sure there's been plenty of times you've sat there and gone, so what do I do now? Yeah, fair. <laughs> So 
the last question um, is a bit of a, a bit of a fun one. Um, do you have a guilty pleasure song? Oh boy, that's a great question. Um, you know, my wife says that I have several addictions. Um, one of those of which is working. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I do is probably one of my most healthiest addictions uh, is working um, and building companies, which I'd have to agree with her um, is relatively healthy. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Some days. Um, I. Uh, I don't really have really anything. Uh, What's the one song that gets you going? What do you mean? Uh, okay, so for example, my and this is going to really put me in the spotlight with a lot of people. My guilty pleasure song is Celine Dion. I'm not going to say which oh. song. But uh, okay. <laughs> it's like an artist that, like, I um, listen on the down low. You know, when, when uh, I'm driving my... in the country roads, I, I listen to it and I'm singing it out, you know, on long trips. But as soon as I get into the city, out comes Dr. Dre, Eminem. You know, it's completely different. But 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 what's your, like, guilty pleasure song that just, if anyone knew about, you know, for, for, for our sakes, you know, people that are listening, what would they... Uh, what would... Yeah, that's a good one. So I have a wide, I have a wide diverse in music, that's for sure. Uh, Ariana Grande, actually, I've got, there's a couple of her songs that I really enjoy that I would never, you know, want to publicly play with other folks in the vehicle with me. Um, there's a couple there, uh, but then I go, you know, all the way into, you know, um, 1980s R&B rap and then you know Eminem of course yeah. I've got you know I've got a wide selection um Ariana Grande well, I, I know I'm doing it the next meal we have <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> no. no that's good that's always good to know see you never know about these sort of things unless you ask yeah, okay Julian so look you know just going into your your background and, and who you are you know for, for you've already sort of touched on it your information builders for a number of years became an AE then you know you sort of went into leadership and you sort of if you know if you look at your, your background you dabbled in the leadership but then you've always sort of in the bigger organizations perhaps coming as an AE is that something that you like to do? Is that a well, why do you do that? There's there's a lot of leaders that I speak to, and you probably know this as well, where you know if they're a, a VP of, of a region, <laughs> the only thing that they'll move to is either a better financial, you know, or a better company. They'll never become an AE and then move up. So what's yeah. the what's the reason behind you, you sort of doing that, or is it just as it happens to be that's just the way the route is taken? Um, I, generally, I would say I'm always coming in as at least in the last three, six, nine, at least in the last what eight to nine years have always come in as as a leader. I will say, though, there are some situations and times where you are coming in as a consultant sometimes from the VC side. Right. Um, and you're coming in as a kind of an independent third party for a little bit of a time to figure out what's really going on in this organization first, right? Um, before that next step is kind of either offered or it just makes sense from a timing perspective, right? 
So a lot of times those things happen as well um, before you join an organization as a leader. Um, or it happens while you're in the organization too, sometimes as well. So, yes. Yeah, so, how many IPOs or acquisitions have you been a part of now? What's your, what's your number? So, I've been through um, two, two successful exits um, at this point. Um, and one, I would say, and then a third one, which was also there has not been a, uh, an exit per se. But at least from a you know value of shares perspective on the open market, um, it was very successful. So good. So I mean, you, you obviously work from ThoughtSpot. You landed yourself at Pyramid Analytics. Um, you know they're a business who you know I, I know very well. But you know they're a business that's been around for a very long time. Um, you know I'm sure when you joined two years ago, I know when I. You know, when I came across them, they weren't, we'll call it a sexy startup, unicorn status that so many people like ThoughtSpot, like Starburst, like some of these others, like a Snowflake, for example. What was the allure from your perspective in joining that organization, you know, Pyramid, as, as a business? Yeah, and I, that, that's that's a fair ask. I've, you know, I knew these guys, I knew Pyramid as a company, I knew the leadership. Um, for about four or five years before I joined Pyramid. So I knew what they were building. I knew they had a, um, you know, a first-generation product that they sunsetted while they were building their second one. And now we're taking that second one to market for really kind of the first time uh, at, at, at global scale. For me, obviously the tech, I enjoy working for organizations that are based out of Tel Aviv. Uh, this is, you know, a couple times I, I have done that. I thoroughly enjoy the tech, the landscape, the personalities, uh, the culture that comes with that into um, corporate life, if you will. The analytics space, I knew very well, and I knew the platform that was being built was a differentiated platform. I already knew the buyers as well on the analytics side, and I knew what they were looking for and the gaps that they had and how the pyramid platform could fill those gaps. And I recognized that the company was at a stage where they were building, right? And I love to build. Um, I'm not a scaler. Um, that's just not me. Uh, I love early stage companies um, that are, you know, series A, series B type companies that are trying to figure out you know, how do we take this market, how do we take this product to market and how are we successful, right? I hate walking into an organization and they say, hey, we have everything figured out. Here's our playbook. You go do these five, six things and poof, you'll have success. I hate that. It's just, it's just not me. I get, I get really bored really fast. And, you know, those sort of organizations, you know, last acquisition, uh, last exit was we got purchased by Adobe. You know, I, I left immediately, right? Like, it's just not what I, it's just not what I enjoy to do. Now, other people, hey, that's what they enjoy to do. That's fine, right? <laughs> but um, for me, I just, um, you know, I, I love being sub fifty, sub seventy five employee count coming in, and then trying to figure that out over the next couple of years. It's just truly. Uh, that's that's my that's my addiction, man. I'll tell you. 
sector? I mean, in that time, there was a lot of businesses or vendors that were starting up, you know, around the analytics plate, and and some depending on on what who you would say, you know, Pyramid's gone through, you know, their their release in twenty eighteen was really the 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 catalyst for where they are now as an organisation, right? What was it about the tech and, and the leadership that set them apart from? I don't know, say another vendor in the space, another startup that, you know, um, I think we've spoken about Telius, for example. You know, they, they were primed for that sort of position as well. Um, and there, there are the vendors that I'm not even going to go into because some of them are, are very big. But what made you see them particularly? What, what, why why them on their leadership? Why them on their tech? Yeah, sure. You know, when you when you take a product to market for the first time, right? You'll you'll take um, a watered down product oftentimes, right? There's been several startups that I've been at where my first three or four months, I didn't have a product yet. I had a PowerPoint deck that said, here's what the product's going to be, right? And you, 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 you build a 10% of your overall vision, right? You sell that and then you hope to get more funding and more money to build out the rest of the product. But oftentimes, that doesn't happen, right? What Pyramid did differently is they said, you know what? We're not going to sell anything for a couple of years. We're going to build and spend money and build what the customer needs to its fullest its fullest capability possible, right? And then we're going to take that entire platform to market. Um, and what that gives you, right, is it gives you a higher level of customer satisfaction, right? You're not selling... Um, a pipe dream. You're not selling futures. You don't have to go through this roadmap with this big caution of this may not happen, right? Because for all these various reasons, all of those sort of things you don't have to worry about and skate around, if you will, with the customer. Um, now, granted, I'll tell you, it's much more expensive to do it that way, right? Than telling the VCs, give me some money, I'll go get some. I'll, I'll go get some revenue for you, right? Um, but on the customer satisfaction side, it's great, right? Um, to actually do it that way. Yeah. So that definitely is a different model, especially in the last you know, five to eight years, maybe ten years. The, the the VC world has been a grow, grow, grow. We'll, we'll outgrow it. We'll outgrow the pains. <clears throat> get to 100 billion ARR. Golden Stock Exchange, New York, London, whatever yeah, yeah. it is, and Pyramid have have gone completely the other way around. Um, yeah. And in a way, actually, it's probably worked best for you doing that with the way the market is now. You know, in twenty twenty two, you had one of the largest um, VC funding rounds of hundred over one hundred twenty million. Now, that was that this year, particularly any other year, that probably be one of the smallest. But this year, that's one of the biggest going. Um, <laughs> So I can I can see the benefits of that. Um, a couple of other things that I was going to just drill down on there. Whilst whilst you've got that, you mentioned you like working for television or Israeli-based startups. Israel is has borne some of the biggest startups over the last five years. It doesn't look like it's it's going to be slowing down anytime soon. What do you think their secret sauce is? Um. I- you know, I think there's a lot of different variables to that. I don't know if there's really one thing. There's a great book to read, too. Um, 
gosh. Startup Nation is the name of the book. Yeah. On Tel Aviv. And it's all about, you know, how the tech scene has evolved, how the military um, had a presence into, you know, building tech scene, especially from a security perspective, right? The amount of security tech that you have coming from Tel Aviv is just, you know, unprecedented, right? Um, it's it's the it's the strong tech. Uh, it's also kind of the the no BS attitude as well. Around, look, if there's a problem, we need to fix it, right? And it's openly talked about. Um, there's there's no secrets, there's no rumors. Um, therefore, I think the culture is generally going to be a stronger culture inside of the company when you have that sort of a uh, attitude um, yeah. of of people, I think. Okay, no, that's good. Um, and and you mentioned the the VC side of things. We'll we'll, we'll come on to that in in a bit. But how have you found? Um, is this the first organization you've sort of directly been dealing with from from a VC side, um, or do you have do you have previous experience with? Uh, I mean, if so, what's been different in previous organizations um, to this organization? Um, I would say the um, the board is entirely uh, out of Tel Aviv, right? Okay. Uh, we do have, I take the back, we do have, we do have two now that are in uh, the U.S. Um, but for the majority of it, it's been, you know, Tel Aviv-led. Um you know, there's kind of maybe one one kind of downside is that you know the Tel Aviv economy, a good portion of that is, uh, you know, um, IT services that are offshored, right? And those are usually generally the things that are kind of cut first during an economic downturn, right? So sometimes those sort of things are seen first uh, when you're living in Tel Aviv, that may not represent the rest of the world. But that does happen. That's for sure. Um, but I think the other interesting thing here is that you know for twelve years we've had the same founders, right? And they've gone through multiple iterations of um, first generation product, and now the second generation of a pyramid. That often does not happen. <laughs> Oftentimes, there's switches, changes made for various reasons, right? Um, and that has not happened here. And I think that's also just a testament kind of to our leaders as well um, at the company to be able to go through that, have the vision, the foresight um, to do that. So. No, I appreciate that. I think that's um, an interesting insight into perhaps where boards maybe are right now, given, you know, the, 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 the number of issues and stability depending on what you you know where you sit on the fence on or where you sit in terms of the economic climate currently um i mean how are you finding the the economic climate for for, for customer deals i think you were actually just saying that q4 is brilliant what one of the best no, it's, it's been good um yeah it's it's been good uh, yeah i mean there's definitely some cautious signs here or there from budget perspectives but generally it doesn't feel like a 2008 2009 by any stretch of the imagination um 
globally, and globally, it's yeah, no, it's globally consistent. <laughs> globally consistent, I would say, but there is definitely caution in every one of our sales geos, the doc territory, the UKI, and then also North America. There's a little bit of caution everywhere, but it's pretty minimal um, to the overall larger picture, I think. Okay, good. Oh, so that's quite quite interesting. Um, all right, let's move on to you per se now. Um, and your experience um, moving away from, from Pyramid. What would you say... Um, what would you say your biggest challenge is right now as an SVP and and how are you overcoming that as a leader? You know, the biggest challenge, it's, you know, nine months ago, gosh, finding talent, Luke, and the talent market was, as you know, just crazy, right? You'd have to go from, from a candidate that was field level candidate from hello to sign here within generally less than two weeks, because as you know, they were getting two, three, four, five offers, right? And all those offers were extremely competitive. And all those offers were also uh, growing in terms of what, they, what, the, um, what, what the market generally brought, right? So that was, that was extremely hard, right, um, at the time. And it's becoming a little bit easier, I would say. Everything's kind of calmed down in the market from a uh, from a hiring from a hiring perspective, um, I think where we're at right now as an organization is that we are, you know, maniacally focused on new logos, right? And understanding our your our ICP of the customer because it's changed for us a little bit over the last twelve months, for sure, uh, for the better for us, and then at the same time, then the ICP of not just our, our customers, our partners, as well as our employees that we want to bring in. And then having making sure that all, all of my sales managers are bringing in the right profile of candidate that we are looking for uh, to grow the business. Right? And to do it in a productivity model where the math works out and we're not having to do something crazy because we're not following math in a year from now or two years where we where we weren't following math and we have to do a massive layoff right so all those things are kind of taken into consideration right now and getting that right um you know is um uh is critical for us for success for for the future do you could you shed maybe some light into that? How how do you go about making sure the math works out so you're not having to engage in multiple layoffs? And, and, and also you mentioned about new logos. A lot of organizations are not focusing on new logos, but existing logos they have. Why, why are you going against, say, the grain per se on, on that one against, say, some of your peers? Yeah, first of all, we definitely have a strategy to grow our existing customer base. There's no question about that. But realize that our platform is one that has an ROI of saving the company money, saving our customer money. Mm-hmm. So for that, we are extremely attractive to new customers right now who are, of course, you know, tightening their spend because of the economic climate. 
and we offer them a very compelling ROI or a very short payback window when they purchase Pyramid uh, with what the, with how they're currently doing analytics today. So, yeah, I think that's a if it's compelling enough and you be, you're a necessity, not a nice to have, there will never be not be a time when your your platform's not needed. Um, and yeah, I've seen the platform firsthand. It does some really interesting things. Um, really interesting things. So I think you know you, you mentioned talent being one of the hardest things. You know how obviously we have an existing relationship. So I, I I know that you know you use a really great handsome recruiter who's got a great network. You know, and just no, actually, I'm joking. I'm not I didn't know if you met him, Luke, but that's great you met him. <laughs> That's fantastic. I know you did. That's good. Who's Richard? This is not unlike you. No, you're the only person I know whose, whose network does not rival my own. <laughs> Out of nowhere. Um, but, you know, you, when, when we first started working together, you were managing you know, you had multiple reports. You know, over the last year... I think I might have placed two, three, four, maybe four, four or five of your leaders in oh. their positions. Um, what would you say, you know, you've been that first time leader or that, you know, that first line manager. How do you, how do you coach your leaders to make sure that they, they're getting the right talent? Because from my own uh, experience over the years of consulting with you know c-suite or that a lot of hiring managers are terrible at interviewing and are terrible at hiring they don't know and we've spoken about this uh, you know multiple times so i really want to want to drill down on this from a from a, a second third line leader how do you make sure your first line leaders or your sales managers are are, are not making those mistakes yeah, it's it's definitely you have to have conversations around what we want the candidates to be in their first 90 days, right? What activities do we want to see from them? What behaviors should they be demonstrating? And then how do we find those things out during the interview process, right? I'll give you an example. We're looking for people that are curious individuals, right? Well, what do we do then? to see if they are curious. For me, on a first interview, if I'm interviewing that person, I'm not asking them any questions at all. I want them to find out stuff about us for them to be able to make a determination of, are we a good fit for them, right? Likewise, you know, we are a platform, we're not SaaS, right? We're a massive platform that does all kinds of things, all kinds of use cases for, any type of person in a company and any sort of company in any sort of vertical, right? How we figure out if we're a right fit is by being curious, is by figuring out what's their current state, what's their desired future state, and how can Pyramid play a part in that pathway from a current state to desired future state. And if they're not curious individuals, they're gonna they're not going to be successful uh, in their first 90 days or or longer at pyramid, right? So that's just one small example, right? Okay, well, let's let's drill down on that now, and I'll put my recruiter hat on for a second, right? So, 
you're looking for curiosity now now that's something that generally isn't taught that's a you either have that it's like work ethic i find you either have that or you don't have that it's not something you can ask for if, if you do if you if you are and i know we've had conversations for example where candidates haven't been curious in that first stage we then give them that feedback and in the second stage they'll just ask maybe four or five questions <laughs> and that to them will be curious what do you you know how do you make sure that your you know your your vps for example below you are are tracking that do you have a scorecard do you give them role plays what's what's how do you train someone that has has maybe never led before or never had high level what's what's your you you can't train uh you can't train or teach that generally. It's like the work ethic. Either you have it or you don't, right? The drive, either you have it or you don't. Um, now, you know, some things may change in that person's life for them to get that. But oftentimes the change that happens is not something that, you know, another human coached another human on, right? Something happened traumatic in their life and then a switch was hit and then that changes it, right? Uh, so from that, what we, but but there's just things that we, that would, that, that we look for, um, when you're interviewing for a sales role or, you know, anywhere in the go to market role, you should be demonstrating or you should see things about that candidate that they're also going to be doing those things when they're in the job and they're actively driving deals and pipeline and conversations, right? I'll give you an example. We had a we had a BDR um, that interviewed here with us, right? Interviewed, I don't know, process, maybe three or four people over the course of two weeks. Um, that BDR reached out to nine other people in our company to inquire about the company and the product and the people. Great skill, like, yeah, yeah, that's something uh, yeah. you don't find. Uh, just out of curiosity, was it one of those? I can't remember, actually. I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> I, maybe. I don't know. Like, <laughs> sorry. I, I, there's absolutely no need to ask that. But it just, like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it was. Here's the, been. Here's the SVP of, of Pyramid saying, we find great SDRs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. But, no, you no. know, that is a, um, you know, I, I get so... On my profile, right? I've got I am hiring, right? I get so few people though that reach out to me. So few, you know. Uh, it's just it's it's just surprising. It's an art, that isn't it? You know, I I've just gone through a hiring process myself, and we know we've we pay we pay very well in a recruitment world. And I I had a job advertised, everything that you'd need to know, and I had one person. I said to I had two people reach out to me, but one person actually picked up the phone. Um, and it's, it's, it is a dying, you know, picking up the phone and cold calling someone who could potentially be your boss. It's, it's, uh, do you think there's an inherent maybe laziness with the job application process for salespeople? Maybe there's you know, recruiters or, 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 or what, you know, or, or just that they're, they are in such demand they don't need to, but. What's your thought process around that? Look, my my top AE here uh, for a period of time 
was an AE that reached out to me cold. You know, he and he 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 produced a fair amount of new business for us at New Logos. He reached out to me like he would be reaching out to a new to a to a prospect. Demonstrated that and and you know brought him on and he he showed that same behavior uh, in the job too. So. I think you've alluded a couple of times now from a candidate's perspective is to treat that interview process and hiring manager and organization like a client like you would. Yeah. Um, I mean, one, one of the things that we do as, as a business is when we're, we we talk about using the medic, medic methodology in the interview process. Um, it's quite an interesting concept, really. Um, but from a from the interviewer, so from the hiring manager, perspective what what say top tips would you give or top tricks would you give for say a hiring manager who who is listening to this and they've got to go and hire their first enterprise AE or their first AE um what sort of tips would you give them so did the interviewee did did he look at your profile before the interview right okay um, did he come to the interview or did he come to the interview and ask, Hey, where do you live? Like horrible question to be asking because that person needs to be doing research on who you are because this person is going to be working for this person, right? If he's not doing that, then that person is not doing that from a first call perspective with a potential buyer or a prospect, right? As the hiring manager, do you go and do you also look at the profile of the individual? Yes. What do you look for in that profile, right? For us, we have a certain type of company that we look for that has to be in their profile. We look at their activity as an individual over the last 90 days and what are they doing on on LinkedIn? How many recommendations do they have by, not by coworkers, but by the buyers on their actual profile? And these are all for individual contributors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but those sort of things you you have to look for to to find out. Um, you know, you know, if someone if someone has IBM, SAP, and Oracle on their profile, they're generally not going to be successful at a startup, especially at a place like like Pyramid. Okay, that's interesting, and that's quite a bigger line in the sand. And actually, I agree with you. I get worried when I see startups employing people from IBM, SAP, and Oracle. Um, this is no offense to anybody who's perhaps listening to this or, or watching this. Um, there is a time and place for them, types of organizations, but in, in a business, but you're not startup mentality. You're very, very rarely 0.001%, I would say. I've never, you know, I, 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 I've seen it when they get to a certain size, you know, because there's clear differentiators. You know, a hunter in an SAP, IBM Oracle, those doors are opened by the brand name. When or you, by the team of people that are also selling in that account for you at that company. Or the yeah, partner. That's very true. Or you know, there's been people that I've that I brought in that um that upset. You know, there are there's been a couple of times where I have brought in um 
you know, a person that may have had some time at Oracle or SAP or a couple at IBM. Um, and I know two different conversations with two different AEs over the years, and they both were the similar. They they said, I, I never thought about the people that were the first team at said company, Oracle, IBM. They're like, I never thought about who was the person that created the channel? Who was the person that you know, developed that partner that gave me that opportunity that I that I then was able to close and bring in revenue for that company. They're like, we never thought about that, right? And, you know, now we're in that shoes. Like, you know, we are starting from ground zero. I, I always try to put people in just, you know, I, I think there's three types of people that work at software companies. And there's mavericks, there's builders, and there's scalers, Right. Um, I am. I map to the maverick and the builder. Um, at some point, I know I'll leave Pyramid when we get to a certain number of users. You know, a certain number of customers, a certain number of um, of people. I am not a scaler, right? And I need to leave before that happens because I just, I just, I struggle in those environments. You know. Um, it's not fun. Other people, I'm sure, find it fun. It's just not for me, you know. Do, do, do you think that might be, you know, we'll come back to that in a second, just a slight deviant. Do, uh, do you think that might be because if you don't have a problem to solve, you're not mentally engaged? For me, yeah, that's absolutely it. Yeah. I mean, my, you know, from a builder, from a, I just enjoy fixing stuff. I enjoy creating processes, cleaning up stuff. It's trial and error. I enjoy it, right? It doesn't scare me. The people that are scalers, they want, a, I think, a little more comfort in their daily life than, you know, the Maverick. Like, I know the Maverick. Like, look, for me, I know I'm every 90 days. For me, I'm evaluated freaking probably every 48 hours, right? For all I know. I know my my length of time here is judged every 90 days. And what did Brian and what did his team produce? I like that. I'm okay with that, right? I share that with my friends that work at the larger companies. And they're like, McCormick, you are absolutely nuts. Like, you could go have a comfortable job anywhere else where, you know, you could be successful. Um, but that doesn't make me happy. Like, you know, and there's less sacrifices on that side. It's very easy. I, I you know, uh, it's just not me. Um, I don't know. I like, think no. I I get that. I I am the same. I get bored. You know, and I'm saying this as a founder and director of a recruitment agency. You know, so I know that probably in a year or two, I'm going to be hiring an MD to take over because my my level of, of interest will probably go because we'll be very hopefully you know we'll be stable we'll have the processes and i'm have you ever heard um in sales you have medic there's a there's a book called um, eos entrepreneurs operating system 
don't know if you've ever heard of that concept before. So basically, there's um, there's visionaries, uh, standout ones, Steve Jobs, for example, like visionaries. I mean, not every person's a visionary, but big ideas, big relationship, big problems. And then you've got um, what they, they call it uh, an integrator. Um, someone that comes in and is the middleman and everything like that around processes and they are they make everything work that's sort of like a, like a builder for example um, yeah. and I, I think that if more people were honest about what they would do around being a builder being a skater, being a maverick they would get a lot more job satisfaction out of what they do versus trying to fit a mold in you know when i talk to a founder and they're like right we need a vp of sales because we're doing it's founder led at the moment i'm like well, do you actually need a vp of sales you know there's like you said you know series a and b and i know pyramid are slightly beyond that but technically that 2020 you know, this this sorry this 2022 funding was a series b in my opinion for their product it wasn't a serious deal because it's completely different products there um and I, I completely get from a mindset perspective and from a mental perspective that there comes a point when you just know, like, I'm not going to enjoy this anymore because I've done all the hard work. And so I need to look at something else. When when that time comes, how do you, because you, you, you put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into that. You know, we've spoken multiple times around Pyramid. How do you deal with that when you're basically walking away from your baby? Um, yeah, but you made it. Yeah, but you made it better than what it was, right? Um, okay. When I'm at a scalar organization, you can't really say that you've had that big of an impact, right? And you you can't point to uh, it's 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 just it's it's harder to measure success when. There's a great book um, that I'm thinking about too right now, which is um, um, Lou Holtz. He's a Notre Dame football coach, and he said his okay. one big, his one his one single largest mistake was that he had the top college program for six years, and he never did anything else. He's like, I took it to the top, and I ran into the top, and I think what he's saying is is that he never went to the NFL. Right. He never tried to get to the next step. He thought he was at the next, but he really wasn't. Right. And I and I yeah. I kind of compare that to kind of like an organization where it's been around for 10, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years, you know, and uh, it's on a pretty smooth trajectory, right? So okay. I think that's that's an interesting. We'll we'll come back to that. I think um, a little bit later on. Um, but so so we were talking about tips for hiring managers. So you've got down here looking at the LinkedIn program, like LinkedIn activity, the recommendation from the buyer persona or from their clients, not coworkers or anyone in the the, the revenue marketplace. Seeing if they ask questions about you, like where did you live on that first call. Um, anything else from 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 that perspective? I mean, yeah, there's just there's lots of things that that we want them to do research on before they come to the call. Um, but those are some of the bigger things, you know. So, 
he, let me ask you a slightly play devil's advocate here. So every great salesperson you know is active on LinkedIn, posting things on um, LinkedIn. I would say I would say a great hunter. Okay, is someone that is always beating the drum of their brand or their organization somewhere. May not be on LinkedIn, right? It, but they're doing that, and they know where their buyer is at, right? And they're okay. doing it. They're doing it in a way that also can show me that they can get to a no very, very fast into a sales cycle or into a conversation. Right. Um, I think the best sales, I think the best sales rep is someone that um, can get to a no and can say, hey, look, we had 30 minutes scheduled for this meeting. And after 12 minutes, I can kind of figure out that we're not really shouldn't we really be, be having conversations. If these two or three things change for you, let's have a conversation right, about how we can actually help. Um, you know, it's those sort of those sort oh, of traits. Yeah, it's those sort of traits you can generally find about people in a public way, I would say. Okay. No, I I, I like that. Um, what would you say has been your biggest regret over the last 10 years from a professional perspective? Gosh, biggest regret. I mean, there is a lot of, you know, sacrifices that you do have to make with the family. You know, I don't even want to think about maybe I think I've logged probably 200,000 air miles this year in 2022. Um, I don't know how many countries I've been to multiple times, but, you know, it's been a lot. Um, oh, to be an SVP of global sales, eh? <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, even, as, even as an AE back in the day, I was doing, you know, 150 nights out a year for, you know, several years and. I can't tell you how many weekends and Sundays that I was gone, you know, to start the week in some other city. But uh, that's the sacrifices that you have to make. Um, but that's OK. Like, um, I'd rather have, you know, I'd rather make those sacrifices and for my children to know that, you know, those are the sacrifices you have to make to be successful. Right. I'm going to ask you a question here this is going to be this might poke poke the bear per se is it for your children or is it for you it's both yeah no it's uh it's definitely i i, both. I, I, I get that we do it for our I, I don't personally have kids but i like to think one day we also you know I, I think that but at the same time i think when i'm honest with myself i'm like Actually, I just enjoy I enjoy the money. I enjoy the the impact I have, you know. So is it more per se for your selfish desires from a me mental perspective, having that impact, being that mm. that fixer, that go to guy or, or I mean, because, you know, if you do that well, your kids will be looked after, you know, and maybe even kids, kids sort of generational thing. Is that more? Would you say it's more the you that that? that sm no, makes smile and accomplishes versus your family no it's for me it's um it's something that we talked about earlier which is from a work ethic perspective that is a trait that you have that you've that that you learned through osmosis or watching someone else 
right? And if you have that trait, um, that drive, that work ethic, that'll solve a lot of other gaps that you have as as a human um, as you as you progress. I was able to learn that work ethic because my father was uh, blue collar and I was able to work with him as a child. Right. And that was great. It sucked sucked at the time. Right. But then I realized what that what that gave me for later. And what I what I what kind of keeps me up at night is how do I how do I teach that to my kids? Right. You you really can't. I will say, though, with COVID, it kind of has helped because. They just thought dad left on the plane on Sundays and come back and came back on Fridays. They didn't realize that that was involving, you know, 15 hour work days where you're in meetings, you know, from 8 a.m. until five. And then you have a dinner with a client. And then you're on the, then you're on the laptop from, you know, 930 until 11 o'clock at night. They see that now because I'm in the house. Right. Which which is good generally. But no, that that does keep me up at night of how. You know how can how can I instill that work ethic when I'm not when the child's not working with me into them so I know they'll be successful that that does that does worry me um, so you know it's an interesting point and um, one that is probably I, I wouldn't say you're let alone a father but I think this the, you know the generation coming into the workforce it, uh, as 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 well you know they they hard work seems to almost break them versus make them you, you know from personal perspective you talk about your dad you know my my dad run a commercial cleaning company um so i was quite literally cleaning toilets at, at 9 years old um yes. you know and there was some interesting things in those toilets and you hate it but as you grow up you know that innate desire or or i think there's also a fear of being a failure as well with 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 that i mean i don't know if that's something from from yourself but one of my biggest fears is failing my my, my own definition of that um how out of curiosity that they they now see you know not to make this a, a personal sort of podcast but they now see that you're doing that have you noticed their behaviors changing around their work ethic from seeing dad at home doing 15 hour days per se versus previous to covid i yeah, i would say they're probably a little bit too young maybe, maybe my oldest maybe a little bit um but it's not going to hurt, that's for sure, um, for them to kind of see that, witness that. Um, but with that, you know, there's still balance. There's still some balance given there, right? A little bit, yeah. now that you're kind of working from home, from, you know, from a COVID perspective. Um, I I hope to see that. Um, my oldest, I, you know, I will say is... Um, uh, is showing, you know, the kids only 12, 13, actually, sorry, you know, what? he just turned 13. Um, you know, he's already a baseball umpire and he's already doing, you know, three and four games on, uh, on a Saturday. Right. So he's already working eight hours on, on a Saturday, right. In the summer and, you know, 40 degrees Celsius, you know, hundred degree Fahrenheit heat, man. Uh, with full black garb on, right? So like, ah, 
I love to see that, right? Um, so, and I hope the others, you know, are following him, him as well. <laughs> um, but you know, it also could be said too, like the old Bill Gates quote, right? Of you know, um, give a task to a lazy person, and he's going to figure out the easiest way to do it possible, right? It's yeah, my boss used to say that to me when it came to walking. So some truth in that too. <laughs> Um, but I don't know the drive, <laughs> the, the the work ethic, you know that solves so many things. Just like we always say, pipeline solves so many problems in software sales too. Um, that's the case. So. No, I think that's a a poignant a poignant thing. That sort of leads quite nicely onto the last section of of this. It's been a, it's been a really good conversation, and there's so much we could unpack. So I definitely would like to get you back on um next year at some point but you know you might I think some people would look at you and look at your career and go do you know what Brian is someone who is successful if you type in on Google success success um one of the things that comes up is our routines or these cold showers 5 30 a.m wake ups and motivation like um meditation and everything like that do you have a morning routine? Do you take cold showers? What's your sort of like, is that something you have? Do you believe in something like that? I mean, I know we haven't really spoken about anything like that, but just from a from a mindset perspective, what do you think makes you successful outside of that drive to be successful? Um, do I have a morning routine? Yes, I do. Um it's probably not, you know, super exciting, but it definitely for me, um, uh, I, I think for me when I am traveling, one thing that I do do when I am traveling is I like to have the same, uh, the same hotels, <laughs> uh, the same restaurants, uh, preferably even <laughs> the same floors uh, of the same hotels. So roughly the same room. Uh, I, I kind of like to get into that sort of a habit, if you will. Um, you know, there's a okay. there's a there's a hotel in Frankfurt, Germany that I've stayed in for years. Um, I've probably only the the hotel is probably 500 rooms. <laughs> I think I've only stayed in five rooms in that in that hotel over the last couple of years, <laughs> Luke. Um, wow. that's so. That? Like, I just, why, 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 why that sort of micro obsession almost? You know, I think it's the same as as um, rep- it's just a repetitive thing, right? For me, I generally wear the same clothes every day, right? I generally stay in the same hotel in the same room every day. Um, it's just if all that's very simple routine for me then I can handle the complex stuff and not have to worry about, you know, all the other stuff. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, I, I can see why. Yeah. I think there was, I read, a, I read a, another quote somewhere about how, you know, if you look at Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, um, the big titans that say of the tech industry, either B to C or B to B, they always wore the same clothes. You know, I think there was a study somewhere that you, uh, I said Jeff Bezos, Bezos, I can't remember his last name right, but Jeff B of Amazon said that, you know, he only makes two or three, maybe four decisions a day. Um, yeah, I mean, I and, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and that I I can see perhaps you know why that I personally love going to different hotel rooms. It's a quirk of mine, um, but I can yeah. see that I I can see the repetition there of something is quite almost settling. Like you know, you expect it. You know exactly what it's going to be like. There's no there's nothing that's going to take that mental energy away from you. Um, I, generally, I, you know, it's actually, I'm thinking about too, I, you know, for me, if I'm coming to London, uh, I generally know, you know, for, first of all, for planes, I'm also same row. <laughs> you know, now I've, you John, know, we attempted now, actually, just so whenever I know you're going to come to book out, I've just completely book out an entire row. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> You know, it's just it's it's all the stuff that doesn't matter. I just want to make it the same. Yeah, you know, like you 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 clearly work a lot, right? And you there's mental power there. Um, you know, I think we you and I have have laughed. You know, we're quite you know we're we're bigger bigger lads, bigger men. You know, yeah. health wasn't always. How do you protect your energy or, or manage your energy so that you mentioned this repetition stuff and that's sort of where the, the idea came from. As we grow older in roles, there's more demand on us. You know, you've got kids, the amount of hats you wear in, in a day, let alone just SVP of global sales. How do you protect your time? What sort of tips would you give to someone who maybe is in that sort of leadership role? For someone like myself, you know, like that's learning around that. I know I've asked your advice on leadership stuff before. How would you go about? How do you go about managing your, your energy and protecting it? For for me, all of my all of my things on my calendar align to my KPIs. If they don't align to my KPIs, I don't I don't have it on my calendar. Or if I have it on my calendar, I don't join those calls. Simple as that, right? And, and, you know, for me, you know, I get pulled through a lot of things that don't necessarily drive revenue. I, I just don't go to them, right? Um, and uh, you can you can be really busy and accomplish nothing in a day, you know, if you're not mm-hmm. careful, you know? Um, so for me, it's, uh, and I think that just goes back to the whole, you know, scaling type company, man, there's a lot of stuff on your calendar that's just on there for various reasons. Right. And if it's not driving revenue, I'm not doing it. Right. Um, and if it's not moving a KPI, I'm not doing it. Right. So every consciously, everything that I accept is something that if I'm attending that meeting, it's got to drive something for me. Other thing that I hate is PowerPoints, Luke. And we've got every organization has got people that can build PowerPoints beyond PowerPoints beyond PowerPoints. I could care less. Like the amount of time it takes you to build that PowerPoint is just a mind suck, right? Like PowerPoint, I think, is the death of successful meetings for the most part. Um, you know, I'm always about what knob are you turning today, tomorrow, the next day that you need to turn to improve some KPI, right? And I don't care what you put on a PowerPoint slide. Like that's just that's just you know a horrible use of time. I think um, is all of that. That's so. my PowerPoint. That's uh, ah. that's been yeah. uh, being around. That's a, a long time debate. That is. Um, well, 
do you think? Actually, what's your opinion on, say, the biggest difficulty an SVP or a VP, CRO level type of of person in an organisation? What's the biggest difficulty that isn't really being talked about at the moment? Um, the biggest difficulty that's not being talked about. Hmm. No problem that's not being talked about. No, you you know, when you've got these people posting on LinkedIn and all that stuff. You know, um, you know, it's not being, I guess, was maybe a bit of a surprise, man. But, you know, being SVP, uh, it's lonely, Luke. (laughs) It's, you know, as an AE, as an SE, when you're traveling, man, you got five, you got five people with you, man, all the time, right? Um, you know, SVP level, you're traveling by yourself, man. You know, um, uh, it's lonely sometimes for sure. Um, it doesn't really, you know, you gotta kind of have to watch it. I think a little bit of like, well, you know, um, for me, I read a ton, you know, which is good. Or I have audio books, um, but there's, you know, a uh, couple of Saturdays ago, man, I, you know, I got stuck in Paris, man, for like nine hours, you know, Paris airport. And I'm like, man, this is just on a Saturday. I do not want to be here. Right. Um, I was flying from, I don't know, from where to where, but, uh, you know, I don't, no one ever really talks about that. Right. But it I is. think that's that is a, so spot on because. Do, do, uh, I'll be a little bit vulnerable here. That's probably been my biggest uh, fear of, of doing this. I, I love what I do. I, I, any lead, I, I don't think it, it definitely is not talked about. And I've looked on LinkedIn for groups. I've done post searches on it. And it's something I'm going to be really focusing on in 2023 from a personal perspective, because it is lonely at the top. That term, whether it is a leadership or, or whatnot, it, it is lonely. It is hella lonely. And do you know what? You'll be the funniest person between nine and five to your subordinates <laughs> because they'll laugh because they, they don't fear you per se, but they, you know, they, they, they will laugh because you're the boss. So there is a having those friends. And I think that um, even when you've got friends, you know, it can be still be incredibly lonely because the pressures you face, the, the challenges you face are very unique to your position. Um so how would you deal with that? You know, when, when you're sitting in Paris airport, I mean, there are, you know, there's that term first world problems, right? Paris airport on your own on a Saturday. There could be worse places to be stuck. But from yeah. a, a, a mental capability, you know, where does your mind go when you're sitting there thinking that? And then how do you combat that? Yeah, I mean, for me, I've got a group of about eight to 10 guys, um, most of which are, you know, SVP, CRO guys that I'll reach out to on an every week basis. I'm like, hey, look, making this decision. I know you made this twice before. You know, what did you learn from it? What, what what would you not do here? You know, you've got to have, I think, a core group of people outside of your own company, but still making similar decisions as yourself just to bounce ideas off of, you know? Um, I think that's a better group than someone internally oftentimes, right? Because they're going to tell you decisions that will either more than likely 
you know, the decision that will positively impact them, right? Um, That's interesting. And have they always been, have you sort of all grown through the ranks together or are they just people you've come across? Uh, people I've worked with, you know, over the years, um, people that we've either been, you know, uh, heck, one of the guys that, you know, I was actually a customer of mine, right? And then he um, he has been, um, now he's CRO of a very sizable organization, and, you know, he's got a team of around 900 people, right? And him and I chat, you know, once every two weeks. Um just on, you know, usually on a Saturday morning, like early morning, um, we'll generally have, you know, we just call them coffee chats or what have you. Um, but, that's, uh, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad you brought it up. I think that's a very pertinent topic that a lot of people are, are, are don't talk about, you know, and and and, and on that. Um, okay, well, a couple of few, few about four or five more questions. Um, yeah, what would you say? You mentioned about your mentors, like people you you that are stuck with you, or at least these eight to ten people. Has there been one particular thing that's stuck in your mind that they've they've mentioned to you that you think other people should know about? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, it's. Um... Do it, uh, you know, the, the decisions you have to make oftentimes are going to affect uh, people that you've never met before, right? Um, and sometimes for me, that, that's uh, the human side of this that no one talks about, right? The changes you have to make with people are going to affect a long string of connections that you're never going to know. Right. But dealing with the people that you do know and dealing with it from a human perspective um, is something that people will remember you for, either whether it was positively or whether it was negatively done. Right. At the end of the day, we're all freaking humans. Right. Like um, that to me, because I've seen it done in organizations in such a non-human way. And there's no need for that, right? When changes are having to be made, um, you need to do it in a way uh, that takes the human side of it into effect. You know, you're not managing from a spreadsheet, right? Um, and sometimes that's often forgotten, I think, especially what we're going through right now with all the various changes as, as you know, and multiple organizations yeah. uh, going on, so... Well, where do you see? I mean, this, this question is sort of two pronged. What do you see as the future of SaaS sales in sort of five, in the next five to ten years, but also the future of analytics in five to ten years? Yeah, that's. Uh, I do think we are getting more and more back to what we were pre-COVID. Mm. You know, we are seeing clients more and more. Um, there is, of course, a, 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 uh, a financial aspect of the travel that we used to have the benefits of, you know, having a cost of a plane and a hotel 
and going and seeing, you know, four to five clients in a day, right, for that expense. And now you don't have that quite yet. You know, I was out in California a few weeks ago and we actually saw three clients in one day. I'm like, wow, it's been a little bit of time since that was able to be achieved in their offices, mind you, right? Like, of all places, California, right? Um, So I do think we are getting a little bit, a little bit back, a little bit back to that. Um, From an analytics perspective right now, we are, you know, the, the organizations are going through more infrastructure and database changes now than what they've done probably more in the last 20 years, right? That's going to affect workforces. It's going to affect where spend is at. It's going to affect technology decisions um, over the next five years. Again, more so than we've seen in in probably the last 20. you know, if I had a crystal ball, I, you know, I wouldn't be here, man. I'd be doing something else. That's for sure. That would be way more better. That's for sure. But it's hard to predict the future. Uh, but history does repeat itself. That's for sure. We do know that, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, well, you know um, this whole, you know, move, move to the cloud, you know, all of that, of course, is, you know, right in front of us happening all the time. Um but on the other side, I see people leaving the cloud too. A little bit, Luke. Like, I've seen some organizations that are having conversations with us trying to reduce their cloud cost because it's gotten out of hand. Right? Yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. So. On on a you know talking about meeting clients and everything around that, you know, the world of sales tech has exploded over the last two or three years. You know, you've got Zoom Info, Salesloft, Outreach, Marketo back in the day, HubSpot now. You know, there's so much sales tech out there. Gong, you know, you don't don't need to stand, throw a stone out the window, you'll hit 10 on the way down. Whilst whilst we say that that sector industry is likely to probably consolidate over the next couple of years, where do you what's your in your ask from a tactical perspective what's your must have sales tech like top three bits uh, that you would you couldn't live without yeah gong gong first and foremost um gong recording you know the actual how we use gong also the intel the analytics behind there is just invaluable i would say Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that's first and foremost. Obviously, you know, pick your CRM that, of course, you need. I mean, obviously, you you uh, need that. And then, you know, some sort of ABM strategy, right? Whether it's six cents, whether it's demand based, um, you know, something like that to know what the buyer is doing when you don't have access to the buyer. What's your go to CRM? Um, I would say right now we're using we're using HubSpot here here right right now. It's working for us. I've always used Salesforce in the past. Um, I don't think it's the tech as much as it is the people that are deploying the tech more so than the tech. I would say. Um, yeah, I think that's an interesting interesting question. No, another interesting thing point, coming out. There's another kind of area coming out that's called the conversation intelligence space 
which is a new emerging sales tech. Uh, and we are beginning to kind of experiment with that a little bit with some really early stage companies um, around the nonverbals that are happening and the analytics behind it for people on the screen, right? Interesting. Yeah. After, we'll do a whole other episode on that one day, I'm sure. And <laughs> um, what's something you maybe wish I asked during this, this podcast that, that I didn't? Um, and if so, what, how would you answer that? Ah, gosh, I never thought about that, man. Um, I don't think I have an answer to that, actually. Wow, that's, that's a first. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, is I mean, no, I don't. Let's see. Uh, yeah, sorry. No, no, that's that's not an issue at all. Um, this we've we've covered an awful lot in this in this you know that podcast in this this recording. You know, from mindset to Tel Aviv based organisations to interview tips for both interviewees and interviewers. Um, Profiles of a good hunter to mindset to loneliness. You, you know, if there is anything that you would want, you know, even if someone was just to pick this part of the conversation to listen to, what would you hope the biggest takeaway the audience get from listening to this? It, it, you know, in order to be successful, I think in anything that you're doing, um, there's a lot of things that happens that you're doing that people just never see, right? It's the stuck in Paris on a Saturday, right? It's talking to your peer group on a Saturday morning. Um, it's planning your weeks out on a Sunday afternoon. Um, you know, it's, you know, you know, working with your team at, four o'clock in the morning some days and nine o'clock at night on some days. Like there's just a lot of things I think that, that um, people just take for granted sometimes. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's not, it's fun for me, right? It's not easy, but um, in order to, you know, make all the sacrifices, You've got to have a drive behind why you're making those sacrifices, or at some point, you're just going to give them up. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a nice point to end on. Um, very nice point to end on. Um, and as I say, with all our listeners, if you can subscribe to us, we're on Spotify. We're on Apple Music, we're on YouTube, and um, we're also this will be on LinkedIn as well. So that'd be great if you can subscribe. Any comments, any questions, uh, more than happy to. Brian, um, your LinkedIn will be hyperlinked across them, so our listeners will probably give you a good eyeful um, and maybe even reach out to connect. Um, just remember, there is a fee for any introduction um, that is made. <laughs> No, I only joking on that one. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. And, you know, we've covered some pretty interesting things here and deep things. Um, I'm sure I'd like to get you back on um, for for that. Um, thanks again. And um, anything, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate it.